Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to The Mentor, I'm Mark Boris. Now, this episode of The Mentor is something completely different. I'm glad to say, sometimes you need a bit of a break from what I normally do. You as listeners probably need the same thing, a bit of a break from what I normally do. So I hope you like this. I'm going to be talking with a big global business, but not about their story. I'm talking about how they use their technology and capital for something really valuable to society, us as humans, and to the planet. They are trying to save an entire species of rhinoceros. David Ward is a global chief technology officer at Cisco Systems, which has 75,000 employees worldwide and revenue of almost $50 billion per annum. And Cisco, now, they've partnered with environmentalist Doc Watson to help save the rhino population from poachers in South Africa's largest wildlife reserve. To help promote this work, David has brought on the Outback Wrangler, Matt Wright, and cricket legends, Kevin Peterson and Graham Smith, to make a documentary called Save This Rhino. Now, it's going to be on on the 23rd of April and again on the 30th of April. So it comes out as two episodes. It's worth watching. I've seen it advertised on TV. This show shows how groundbreaking high-tech solutions delivered by Cisco can help with conservation efforts, and in particular with rhinos. But it has all sorts of applications across all sorts of fields. Today, I'm lucky enough to talk to David and Kevin about how this all started and how big business can make a huge difference on a global scale to small populations of endangered animals. So let's get into it. David Ward and Kevin Peterson, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. So, guys, I, I, I mean, this is a pretty unusual partnership, um, and of course, we're talking about a television show. And we're talking about a cause. It's a bit different to what I normally would do, um, but I think this is important enough to dedicate a whole show to. So, I'm, I, and by the way, thanks very much for coming so early. I know you're going to go somewhere, and I've got to do something straight <laughs> after this. So, for all those people listening, this is absolutely sparrow's fart. Um, we got up real early. I couldn't even, so early didn't get a chance to go to the fucking gym today. Um, we are <laughs> sitting here. We've all had our coffee. Um, David has the maddest fucking shirt on you've ever seen. Um, he is playing um, Silicon Valley uh, geek, technology <laughs> geek. I mean, I don't know. But, it's, uh, but lucky he wore it because it's actually woken me up. I mean, I, I'm a big believer in sort of the electric uh, sort of brainwaves, you know, like sort of creating images about people so that you never forget. 
And uh, you won't forget, Dave. I won't forget this. <laughs> I won't forget this. This is this is a cool shirt. Well, it's also a shoes off situation, so I'm ready to go. Yeah, we've already had the discussion about Brad Fittler, and uh, we know how important it is to walk around on the grass with our our feet touching the grass. And uh, uh, Kevin was talking about how he walks around in South Africa, but then when he went to England in the freezing cold, he walked around with no shoes on, so everyone mm-hmm. thought he was a bit mental. Yep. Uh, so we're, we're going to cover a lot of really cool topics today. <laughs> okay. So, David. You're from Cisco. Just for, for our listeners, tell us a little bit about who Cisco is first, because a lot of our people won't know who Cisco is. I know it's a big name in the US, big name in tech groups in Australia, but a lot of people don't know who Cisco is. Just tell us a little bit about Cisco first, and then let's find out how they got involved in this. Yeah, you bet. So Cisco Systems is the largest networking and internet infrastructure company uh, in the world. And you know we per- we've been in business now for over 30 years and really have invented the internet and in particular built it with our customers telephone companies enterprises manufacturing industry consumer mobile phones uh, not not the actual phones themselves but connecting those onto the internet and so it's a really really large and critical internet infrastructure company uh, we focus on not only the networking piece, but also servers and collaboration. Our collaboration tool suite is the largest uh, enterprise SaaS application on the internet, and that's WebEx. Um, and we have a giant security portfolio as well. So, Security being? Uh, securing your communications on the internet and, and, and securing uh, as well your, your businesses, the data, and, and all that transmission. And so... We're a, we're a really big infrastructure company. And what I like to say in my role, so I'm, I'm chief architect there across the portfolio, is I've spent the first 25 years of my career building the internet, and now I want to spend the next part of my career building how people are going to use it. And not use it productively, and then also here with KP on how we can use it for good as well. Right. So because I think that's, okay, that's an important piece. Before I get on to Kevin, I just want to ask you, could you drill it down for us, like uh, reduce it to as low as common denominator for all us uh, non-tech people? Um, how is Cisco, which is a great, big, giant organization, and let's put aside their um, altruistic um, objectives and your altruistic objectives at the moment, which is a you know it's a it's a great thing for our society. But just put aside that. What is the skill set that Cisco can offer Kevin and the rest of the team, Matt, etc.? What is the um, skill set that you guys are offering that actually helps save rhinos. So telling that story a little bit, what's interesting, I think, is that when we first arrived, um, the state of the art was rangers riding around in a, in a Land Rover looking for bad guys across a massive area. And the likelihood that they were going to run across bad guys was obviously really, really low. Kruger National Parks, the size of Israel. <clears throat> and if you've got four, six Land Rovers out there cruising around, you just can't patrol something that big. So look, first and foremost, enable communication between these rangers and enable them to to just be able to communicate with each other when they're out on watch, patrol, and then uh, operations as well. So using tech <clears throat> to build um, connectivity between the rangers and what's happening inside the park. Absolutely. So that was, that was step one. Yep. Uh, the next step was, hey, look, um, a lot of work has been done in conservation, but is it is it possible not to focus on animals, dead animals, and parts of animals being shipped around the world, but instead focus on keeping people out of the parks or understanding when poachers are coming into the park. Before it happens. So it's the world's first proactive solution where we're trying to prevent animals from being killed. So to do that, 
we, we've, you know, maybe you've heard about the Internet of Things, which is basically attaching just about everything to the Internet. To sensors. Um, and, and to sensors. And that's a huge part of our business as well. So we, we can rock up with some really ruggedized IoT gateways that provide that communication. Okay, and let's just go back a step. Ruggedized for everybody who's listening is something um, like a physical piece of equipment, like a sensor, that can actually withstand the environment, like rain, heat, dust, Africa. all sorts of shit. Africa. Yeah. Bugs. <laughs> bugs. Yeah, and all but sorts real of shit. bugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not, not, not uh, tech what? bugs. Real bugs. Yeah, real bugs. Yeah. And that's funny. That's a funny part of the story, cause, and, I'll, and I'll get to that, because the real bugs were, were the biggest issue we had to overcome. Yeah. So, so now we have these ruggedized gateways to attach sensors and provide communication, and we had to think through, look, what kind of sensors are going to help these rangers? Well, you can do gates, gate control and understand when, when uh, visitors or, or other workers are coming into the park. Breakages, we, break-ins. Everything. Well, yeah. we're, we're going to step. We're going to take a couple steps forward. So, we then uh, fenced off a certain part, an electrified fence. And what's interesting is, f- fences are notoriously not good at stopping somebody from from getting across. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so we uh, then, aka Donald Trump. Go on. <laughs> uh, I didn't go there. <laughs> but, um, but the the issue was, you need to know across hundreds of kilometers, when is somebody cutting, going over yep. or under that fence? And so we started adding in really high-tech sensors associated with this, something called acoustic fiber. And that's an 80-kilometer-long microphone in a piece of optical fiber. Now, for the geek side of this table, you know, we use optical fiber all day, every day. That's how we do telecommunications. And what I want to say, hopefully, simplistically, is normally we try and get the clearest signal possible for the best possible data transmission. When you're using that acoustic fiber as a microphone, you're actually listening to the noise and what causes a disruption in that, in that signal down that, that, that piece of fiber. And so we then had to apply AI on top of that, and we can tell the difference now between so rain. So you get false alarms and, and you get real alarms. And yeah. we can tell the difference between a giraffe walking next to the fence, yeah. a person digging, cutting, raindrops, the whole deal. But we also realized, okay, great. Now we know if somebody's at the fence. Um, we need some cameras. So we added more sensors. And look, a, a PTZ camera is just another type of sensor. We added thermal cameras, just another type of sensor. Are these, all non, these are other people. This is non-proprietary stuff. So you obviously built this with open architecture too. Unless, are, you, are you talking about Cisco cameras? Nope. No. Ecosystem partners. Yeah, okay. So this got isn't it. just a Cisco solution. This so you've got open architecture for the whole thing, for everything can plug in, plug in and pl- plug and play sort of thing. Exactly yeah. right. And when you get an acoustic sensor, you then aim your camera. Yeah. And then you turn on a magnetometer, yeah. which you know detects if somebody's carrying an axe or a gun. Yeah. And this whole layered approach... Uh, really became that architecture and what we learned out of this on how to do or how to create an outdoor conservation reference architecture with a large number of ecosystem partners um, and be able to do this. But remember, I'm from Silicon Valley. And so the reason why I'm saying it that way is I get all sorts of crazy ideas in Silicon Valley, as you probably see in some of the products coming out, but uh, we'll hold that for a second. But nonetheless, um, those crazy ideas have absolutely no relevancy to a ranger in Kruger National National Park. You need to build an experience for folks who may never have used a computer before, have never had electricity or water. And so we needed to create a training program and create, I'm going to call it an experience for those rangers that they could relate to and adapt to and then go and get the poachers. So there's been an education process along the way. We have learned a ton. And 
you know, I'm one of these, I'm an experimentalist, I'm an experiential learner. So that means that I need, for me to learn it, I've got to go do it. I've got to go build it. I've got to go understand it and roll it my That's sleeve. a fucking good excuse. That just means you can get a trip to Africa. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> fuck me. Like, exactly. Hey man, like, here. dude, you're talking to me now, right? Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm buying it, then you just lost me. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I, I think it's fantastic. And I want to come back to the, the technology because actually I'm a big perf for Internet of Things. I mean, I, I have some experience in it. And, uh, and I do, I do want to talk about the Internet of Things because um, a little bit later on, and how you've applied that to um, those sensors and all the feedback, and also how you've overlaid that with artificial intelligence to be able to determine uh, false alarms, alarms, all that sort of stuff, and and then the education process because that's it, it's a big deal. It, it's this is huge, and I can see that there's going to be other applications down the track for this outside of Absolutely. just looking after the mm. rhinos. But we'll, we'll, and 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 look, and, and and every race is a horse called self interest. Which is cool. I'm I'm good with it. Okay, because I think that corporations, business needs to partner with other people who have a real non-profit view on the world. Absolutely. And right. if, unless you can get hold of your smarts and apply it to what Kevin's doing and and what Matt's doing and what the whole Save the Rhino uh, principle is about, then you actually never have anything effective. You just still have rangers driving around with a fucking gun over their shoulder, and hopefully they might get the one in ten to get through the bloody fence. Or we become the tech company that does an installation once and flies away like a seagull, and it's, it's broken done. again the next yeah. day, and it's no good. And, and they so- don't know how to use it. Exactly. Right. No one can fix it. Yeah, that's no good. Kevin. Yeah. Mate, this is a long deviation from cricket. <laughs> it is. Tell me, tell me your story. Why are you involved? How did you get involved in this whole project? Um, What's the deal? It is. Yeah, it is. It's a long way away from uh, my career path, but uh, it's been the most amazing journey, having been brought up in... I lived in South Africa, as uh, I mentioned, for the first 19, 20 years of my career. Yeah, that, that, and that's interesting. Then you went to England. I then went to England, played for England, yep. uh, spent a lot of time. I still live in England. Yep. Uh, I, hop, I hop between London and uh, our lodge in South Africa. Our lodge being? Uh, my my lodge, my safari. my Your court, own, your yeah, own, my lodge. own lodge. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And is that because you have such a love of South Africa? Or? I love South Africa. Yeah, yeah. And uh, in 2013, when I played my last test match here in Australia and basically shit hit the fan, um, a couple of the South Africans asked me to go out to South Africa to go and play a charity game and said, just why don't you just come away, just try and get away from all the nonsense that's happening um, post that Ashes tour. And I said, okay, cool. So I went down to South Africa, played a charity game, and then we ended up in the bush and we did uh, some runner conservation. Micro, so what? Rhino conservation. Rhino conservation, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, microchipped um, a couple of rhinos. Um, we're up in the helicopters with the vets. We then got a call to say that an he- elephant had just uh, been seen with a snare. Do we want to go and fix the elephant? So we flew off in a certain direction, darted the elephant, basically took the snare off the elephant. And at the end of that, um, I just said to Mark Boucher, the ex-South African uh, player, I said, I said, he was heavily, he is heavily involved. I said, how can I help? And he said, well, you, you've got a pretty big profile, uh, especially at the moment. You can just create awareness and start talking about what was happening. And when you see what happens and you go on that emotional journey out there into Africa and you, you actually feel, you smell, you see, it gets you. Is that something that just pertains to people who? I mean, just say, let me understand. Anyone. Or let me, yeah, but let me yeah. understand people from South Africa. For sure. Moment, because and my listeners here, we don't we we meet people from South Africa. Yeah. A lot of South Africa is in Australia, and yeah. obviously we follow cricket and rugby, blah blah blah. But we actually don't know the mm. culture of South Africa. Mm. No, I definitely don't. Mm. Um, and explain to me, growing up in South Africa, the first mm. nineteen years of your life, mm. 
then you sort of left there and yeah. gone to live in England, and yeah. because you got you got one one of your parents is English. One's English, yeah. Okay, so you know you have both sort of running through your veins. Correct, yeah. Um, and England's a lot. London's a lot different. Yep. To yeah, South yeah, yeah, Africa, ma- massively differently. So my perception mm. of people growing up in South Africa um, um, is that uh, young men in South Africa and girls, I guess, too, is the same. But just my perception is that uh, you know there's a uh, Deers and antelopes and lions and tigers and everything. A bit like people think about Australia, we're full of koalas and kangaroos. Yeah. And that's my perception that you're yeah. growing up in a farm or something like that. And, and uh, you know, you. Well, you... there is urban and rural. But um, is that how, how you grew up? Like, is, Yeah, in... I, I grew up rural, um, but very close to the urban world. Uh, grew up in a town or a city called Peter Maritzburg, but I was on the green belt. So we lived just uh, in the mountain. And uh, yeah, it was. It's a complete. Do you have a love of nature as a result of that? Yeah, well, it's exactly like in Australia. You you live an outdoor lifestyle, so our um, climate is very similar to the good parts of Australia. Yep. Um, like Sydney. Uh, <laughs> well, um, it is. I mean, I mean, so Cape Town would be very similar to uh, Melbourne. Yep. Um, Durban, where I'm from, so Durban, that Natal area is very similar to the Gold Coast up there, Queensland. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Sydney, Sydney, Sydney is what Sydney is. Sydney's Cape Town's like Sydney. Yeah. The weather patterns are more Melbourne. Right. Um, just because of how far south it is. Um, but it's a, it's an outdoor lifestyle. So it's exactly the same as Australia. It's, it's, it's incredibly similar. Just speak different. So that, that love affair with sport, the love affair with nature, um, the busyness of 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 towns, but you, you get out and you can just go and. But do I don't think I don't, I'm not do. sure the people from Sydney anyway. If I could just do a quick survey, people I know are that. I mean, we love nature, but but we're not passionate about saving animals. Maybe because so we don't have to, So people go to South Africa, and uh, I think one of its biggest um, finances is tourism. Right, and that's because of the Big Five, and it's because of safari. Now, it's a huge play for a South African because they know the importance of uh, the animals, whereas I think it's probably completely different here because people don't go to Australia to go and go on safari. No, they come to Australia don't. to see Sydney, the Harbour Bridge. They go up and, I mean, yeah, okay, they can go to the Great Barrier Reef and go and see all those bits and pieces, but you go to Perth, Melbourne, it's, it's sort of city by city. It's not here us. for the wildlife. You're not here for the wildlife. Yeah. So you don't have that connection as an Australian to the wildlife. Whereas in South Africa, we protect our wildlife because we know how important it is. And you grow up with the wildlife. So, how can so you I, grow how, up with books on zebras or rhinos or elephants or lions. It's just, it's just the way of the world in South Africa. So well, then, Kevin, tell me this. How, how is it? I mean, obviously, you've retained that, that piece of your culture mm. in, in your blood. How is it then that there are people there who basically want to come and poach and kill? And, uh, oh, you it's, know? It's, culture, it's culture. So there's a different Explain culture. Explain that bit to me. So um, the the necessity to survive uh, when you're hungry and you have no running water uh, is 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 a very very big factor, an important factor in what's happening alongside the Kruger National Park. So you've got about three and a half million people that live on the border of the Kruger National Park, uh, next to uh, in a, uh, the private game reserve, the Sabi Sands, and. The Sabi Sands and, and where my lodge is, that whole area is the French Riviera of Africa. Right. It's, I mean, in terms of price per square meter of property, of land, if you can get it, you're lucky to get it. And if you're going to get it, you're going to pay top dollar. You're going to pay 
um, Sydney CBD. You're going to play yep. Vaucluse, Rose Bay. You're going to pay those numbers to have places there. However, right next to those places, next to our place, there's a whole um, there's a whole different uh, structure of of human because they are the poorest of the poor, and they can look through a fence and they can see animals and they can see us people who travel there and go and spend a lot of time there, spending a lot of money, going to take photos of these animals. And I think one of the one of the most real things that any one of those um, people ever said to me was, we don't understand why all you rich people come to my land to take photos of my food. Right. And when you hear that and you understand it and you hear how deep that is, you, you, you get the whole... Um, uh, difference in in what it is, and seventy five percent of them are un- unemployed, uneducated. So when you when you're sitting there and you've got children, uh, I mean, if you all the all the women there by the time they're eighteen, they've got a hundred percent chance of being raped in the area. And you're going to go and contrast that between what's happening in the uh, in the Kruger National Park or the Sabi Sands, and then those people, you understand and you you sort of give it away and you go. Okay, may, maybe there is something there, but greed is something that is built in, I think, every single person, and it just it depends on the level of greed that you want to get yourself involved in, and greed is probably the overriding factor. Is it greed or survivorship? I think it's greed. Because right, yeah, my gut feeling is there's someone profiteering here. There is somebody profiteering. At the end of the time. chain. Oh, no, there's, no, 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 no. There's, it's a huge market. I mean, yeah. Rhino Horn is the most expensive commodity on the black market. Is that right? More than cocaine. Right. Gold, Serious? platinum, a more lot than more. cocaine. More than cocaine. Wow, it's eighty-five thousand US dollars a kg. Rhino horn. What? Eighty-five thousand US dollars a kilogram. A kilogram. Oh, oh, the horn is the it horn. ground up, and what do the hell do they do with the horn? They what? take the horn and they just get it out of here to Vietnam or China. Well, what do they do with it? Sorry, oh, out what's, of South the, what's the end product? Af- well, they call it. They think it's an aphrodisiac. They say that it cures cancer. They grind it into a bowl and then they fill it with water and they take it as a hangover cure. But rhino horn is only fi- is your finger now, right? That's it, keratin. It is lit- it, that's all it is. So there's some um, beliefs. So it's all bullshit. It's it's absolute bullshit. So it's it's, it's folkloric. Somebody completely. Is, yeah, so completely. And, and where is it sold? Like I've never Vietnam, seen Vietnam, China. Vietnam, it's all the black market. It's a, but it's sold on a black market mm. to. People from those environments. It is sold, yes, and then also to the rich. So the, they want to um, show off their wealth, and they want to have little bits of rhino horn in cocktails. It's just a show of wealth. So yeah, that's mind-boggling for me. It's horrendous. No, no, it's disgusting. Uh, they use it as ornaments, um, pens. Yeah. It's yeah, it's a it's the deep, dark, disgusting world of that the East, unfortunately. It's, it's it's an Eastern thing because I, I mean I don't know I, have you seen in America I've never heard of it or anywhere, no. in, anywhere in England no America England Australia there's three no, big it's nations illegal. it's illegal yeah well it's not illegal but I can't imagine anyone even I've never heard of anybody I mean I know people who do cocaine yeah that's illegal too yeah but they don't I haven't seen anybody sort of saying hey Mark look uh, would you like to have, uh, sort of take some of this dust out of this bowl and stick it in your glass of water because it's going to give you a fat yeah um you know yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that? Is, well, that's exactly heard? that's exactly what what it's like. But it's, no, it's so. It's, I've so never... and, and what amazes me is the bullshit side of it, because surely mm. educated people, but people are talking about it with well, money. that's what a lot of people say. They say, "Why don't you? Why? How can you stop the end product?" And I say, "Well, how the fuck am I going to change the culture of yeah. the Chinese? How how can I mean?" But they're intelligent people. Like surely they understand this is just a waste of fucking money. 
They should. Well, they, they should. Or is it just says, who cares? It's like a Louis Vuitton bag. That's a waste of money too. But I've got a Louis Vuitton bag. Is that what it is? Or is, is that well, the reason it, they're buying it? So look, this is up you. We got this. You can, no one else It's a show of wealth. It. Yeah. It's a complete show of wealth. So that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. So this is um, a, a absolute ego. And, Completely. Uh, yeah. So and they're stockpiling now because they know how hard they're hitting them. They're investing in Rhino Horn now. So no. they're stockpiling. Yeah. Oh, it's disgusting, mate. My it's understanding, KP, is that uh, futures markets are actually emerging for rhino horn. No. Mm-hmm. On the anticipation serious? of extinction of the species. Well, that's a good uh, – well, by the way, to some extent, that's not a bad um, indicator that you guys are doing a good job. Yeah. Because you're, you're going to create the extinction – oh, no, you're going to create the oh, – no, you were talking about extinction of the rhino itself? Yeah, As opposed of the to uh, you stopping the, the horns going out. Yeah, no. Oh, that's not a good. No. That's not a good. Sorry about that. I take that back. I mean, I thought you were being so effective. They thought well, we're not going to get any more rhino horns. No, 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 no. They are. They, they are stockpiling because they feel by twenty twenty five there won't be any rhino left. Okay, now tell me why. I mean, either one of you. I think uh, both. Please share. Why is it important? You know, I'm not saying I don't know. I have my own view. But why is it? Why is it important to stop the extinction of a particular animal? Basically, tourism, Africa, it's at the heart of every African. And why should we get rid of a species that's been around for however long it's been around? Who are we to get rid of such a majestic animal and kill them in the, in the barbaric way? I mean, I've walked into and seen that many dead rhino. <clears throat> I get sent videos every week um, of what my mates who are the rangers have to walk into. And it is barbaric. It is disgusting. And it's so cruel. You don't understand how cruel it is. They're well, still alive. I, I, I want to understand because I do want. I, I want our listeners. I want it to be graphic, and I wanted to. I want to rip right into this. So we're, they're basically. We just. Or do we go to the break? Because I think we're all going to need a break from this. Come straight back, and I want to hear about what it is that is so horrendous. Mm. Because I don't know. Mm. I mean, other than what I've seen on television, but I'd like to hear from you. From from. I want to hear from the ground. Sure. Why is it so horrendous? Because I think we need this the graphic nature of this to be ringing in every one of my listeners' ears. Absolutely. Okay, we're back from the break, and I'm absolutely mesmerised with what Kevin's telling me here, and, and I'm, I'm actually... And my brain is ex- exhaustingly curious about why David and Cisco are here and what, what Cisco's involvement is in relation to helping out the cause of saving the rhino. But I'm also, as I said earlier, mesmerized with what Kevin's telling me about the cultural aspects of why it's important to save the rhino. And one of the things he just said before the break was, Mark, you don't understand how horrific it is in the way these people, they just don't poach them. They don't go and grab them, put a lasso around their feet and take them somewhere and cut off their their, their, their horn and uh, let them live for the rest of their life. There's something else attached to this. Yeah. This is about horrifyingly cruel well, treatment it's bar- of animals. it's barbaric. They come Tell in, me about it. They come in at night and they will track. So they're supremely skilled trackers. Incredible. If you're a listener, I want you to listen to this because this is really important. Don't just... Clue out, think about, I want you to actually absorb what we're about to hear. Yeah, so they'll come in at night and they, as I say, extremely skilled trackers. 
So you think about, would you walk into a, an area where you know there's lions, there's leopards, there's elephants? I mean, I, I live, on, I live in, uh, in the bush, and if there's any wild animal around, I am incredibly protective of my children, and I won't go outside. And I can sort of see, because of the amount of time that I've spent around animals, to know whether an elephant, uh, an elephant, an elephant doesn't want me around. Um, they say you can shoo off a lion and a leopard by just clapping your hand. Come on, go, go. Like a like a like a dog. Must remember I mean, that. I ain't gonna try it, uh, but my mates who are the rangers, they walk and live and breathe, and that's what they do. They live in the bush. So these guys risk their lives to come in at night. Now the apex predator has a different eyesight to ours, so at night he can see better than we can see in the day. So these guys are going in at night, completely blinded, tracking these animals in pursuit of these animals. As soon as the sun rises, they'll hit it at first light. Why then? They'll take one shot. Why? 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 Better visual. Right. Better visual. So as soon as it comes up, they call it blood moon also. So they'll go on uh, full moon nights. So called the blood moon or poacher's moon. So they'll go in those nights so you can actually have a little bit better visibility. They will shoot the animal once. Now, if it's not a good shot, that animal is completely screwed and it's lying on the floor. The reason they only shoot once is because they don't want to be detected. So if a bang goes off a firework, you're sitting in your house in Sydney and a firework goes off once. You won't know which direction or where that firework is. If it goes off twice, you can pick. A human sensor picks up the direction and the eyeline of sight straight away. Yep. So they shoot once so they don't get detected. If it's not a good shot, that animal suffers. And I've got sent a video last week of these two animals. And they took two, it did take two shots because they were right next to each other and it was a huge, I mean, the horns were massive. And these animals were um, dazed, concussed, fell over, and they just started chopping away at their heads and ripping away at their faces. But do, 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 do you mean to kill them away. or to get the horn No, off? no, just to get the horn. They don't care. All they want is the rhino down. That's all they care about. So they'll shoot it. So they, it's they... dazed, it's concussed, it's lying on the floor. And they chop, chop its face off. Chop, 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 chop. My mates pulled in there. They landed with a chopper. And um, these things are... <laughs> blood squirting out their face, ears going. Um, they cut their eyes, so they put like uh, uh, crosses in their eyes so, so that uh, in their beliefs they feel that the rhino can't tell the ranger who killed him. So it's all part of this uh, cultural bullshit that you have There's to deal with. Or something. That's exactly what it is. It's, this, uh, it's an African culture. And... Um, it's, bob, it's barbaric, it's horrendous, and these guys have got to go in there and they've got to, A, try and make sure and contain the scene, make sure the poachers are not around, find the poachers, but then they've got to euthanize these... Um, so they euthanize the, the animal? The animals, they have to, yes. Yeah, so they've got and, to put and them to sleep. It, and, and, and are the poachers dangerous? I mean, were they, yeah, are they likely well, to shoot the ranger? incredibly dangerous, incredibly sophisticated now. So, yeah. um, Arm to the teeth. Yeah. You know, the rifles, the axes, and the rest. Mm-hmm. And, and KP... What's the axe for? Uh, Chopping off the horn. Are oh, you joking? And yeah. If, and if the they rip the face apart, if they've just shot or concussed the rhino, they can hamstring it, hit the Achilles heel, hit this, hit the spinal column, so then it yeah, can't move, move, but it's still alive. Yeah. Now you asked to be a little bit graphic, and KP didn't go there, but imagine if you've been concussed, <clears throat> and somebody walks up with an axe and takes off your nose and your entire upper jaw, mm. and leaves you there. 
because mm. that's what's happening to these rhinos. And, when your, and it hits you in the in the back, so it whacks your spinal cord, so you actually can't move. So you can physically feel everything that's happening to your face, bleeding through your mouth, through your through your nose that's disappeared. That's what's happening. So I can see why, like you, um, a lot of people, as opposed to you, I should say, a lot of people will probably know. Th- you know, people. St- I, I knew they were stealing these horns, but I, I mean, I, I, mean, I guess the same applies to elephants in terms of the tusks. Yeah. But I didn't realize. I didn't realize the mm. pain uh, or the atrocity. Well, that, I think that's committed. why I'm so heavily involved in it because it's so brutal, mm. and it's not nice to see an animal suffer, mm. and they don't do a good enough job most of the time. So the animals are just lying there suffering. Now, A, it shouldn't be happening because the um, education around their beliefs is just horrendous. Uh, Explain so, that. Well, it's not, it's not an aphrodisiac. It yeah. doesn't cure cancer. Do they think it does? Yes. Wow. These are all the reasons. It doesn't, it doesn't stop, stop a hangover. Um, do you think they, they justify in their own mind? They, do you think the, 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 the poachers themselves say... Well, the poachers are South Africans, yeah. syndicated um, from the East. So you've got the big guy that pays the little guy that risks his life. They'll go and they'll learn about 40,000 rand a horn. 40,000 rand is 40, is about 4,000 Aussie. Wow, it's a lot. 4,000 Aussie. Huge. Yeah. A significant amount. So how, and why it, falls in, why it falls into greed is because these guys will keep going back. So with $4,000 living there where they live, you can do a hell of a lot. Yeah, we'll, get, we'll put that into context for me. So what's, what, what does... Squatter, squatter townships, just townships with no running water, um, just literally nothing, living, living, living a very, um, a very a, a simple life with fire, um, catching your uh, food, your livestock, so the snaring and bushmeat and all that stuff is, is what they do. It's why they become such good trackers. But then you start putting in thousands and thousands of dollars in their pocket. You shouldn't do it again. If you're going to do it once, you shouldn't be doing it again. But when they do it once and they see the price tag attached to it and the kind of money that they can roll around with and the cars that they can start so buying and the chicks that they can get hold of, uh, I mean, it's it's... It's human greed that's now carrying on. And in these areas, you can see the big houses and everyone knows that's poachers' houses. I was going to say poachers' houses. Yeah, yeah. They all know. Yeah. They all know. And But but, but is it like a, a mafia sort of a... Well, they give the money away as well. So they, they look after people and they give the money away because they've got so much of it. Oh, so it, the, these guys, these individuals or these groups mm. of individuals... Uh, I guess they're forming communities, but yeah, but they're actually they look after the communities. Okay, they're they're building the sort smart. of Robin, Robin Hood. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, well, yeah, and and therefore everybody overlooks it. They still look. I just got to. So, yeah, they I'm do. Happy. They do. They do sort of overlook it. Um, but also, like I was in the river there with these guys, and um, it's just down the road from my place, and they are they're prop, proper poverty stricken. They are in the river where the crocodiles are, elephants. Uh, you name it. And they are cleaning the clothes. They're collecting the water and they'll go and boil the water. So the government has a huge role to play in this too. Yeah. The government don't. They promised them running water. Could easily switch the taps on for these guys. They might do. The election is now on the 8th of May. So for votes, they might turn the taps on for 
uh, a month or so just to just to. What do you mean? Just, so there, there are taps, but they're not turned. Well, there on. are there is a system in place, but yeah. they they just don't they don't help him. So you can see from a from a human side. So I've got the human side and the emotional side towards the animal, but I've also got the emotional side towards the human. Going, it's really bad how these people are living for for what. I mean, Dave's been to my house, and for what we've got compared to what happens a k or two k's away is is frightening. I mean, I got filter taps on my in my property, and you drive, and I was in the bush there with these guys and in the water, and we're filming them for the documentary, and I had a six pack of um, bottled water in the back. We we're talking to these kids and having the best time, just just having fun, man. I love the children. And uh, I, at the end, I was just like, fuck it, no, man. So I've got this bottle of water. And you know when seagull, you put a chip up for a seagull and yeah, it yeah. just swoops and like you just get hit by. I, oh, they almost pulled my arm off while I was driving away with how these kids just attacked that water. Wow. And I just found that incredibly sad. Yeah. So um, we, and how did you, do, can I ask you, do, how did you, I mean, like, how do you guys come together? Like, how, how did that occur? So uh, we've got a mutual friend and a neighbor of, uh, of KP's, uh, really good friend of mine, a good friend of Cisco's a guy named Doc Watson, Bruce Watson. And uh, he's the founder of Dimension Data, a South African high-tech company, and they focus on software solutions. And they're number one partner of Cisco. And four years ago or so, Doc, and Doc talked, to my, talked to me and other folks at Cisco and said, hey, look, here's what's going on in South Africa with these animals. And here's what's going on. Do you think we can do something about this? And so we started building this solution around Kruger about four years ago, like I described a bit earlier with the, with the communications, and then with the sensors and then building up a ranger station, building up their practice. And uh, Doc met KP. And so then, you know, when I, I'm not a conservation expert, I'm, I'm not South African. You know, I have a, my love for pristine ecosystems. I think what we're doing to the planet is terrible and I love these animals, but that doesn't mean I know what to do. But I do know that I can provide technology solutions. And so Doc, introduced uh, us to KP when we were making the documentary, Save This Rhino. And when you were making the documentary, when we're making this documentary, we made together. a, doc- together. Yeah. We made yeah, a yeah. documentary about the solution, about the p- current plight of the rhinos, and then about what we're trying to do to help uh, prevent their extinction and, and, and conserve the, which the... by the way, you guys last night attended the premiere. That's right. Yeah. And by the way, I saw advertise, this advertised on Foxtel <laughs> on National Geographic. And I should tell That's everybody right. who's who's listening to this, this is coming up on National Geographic on what date? 23rd of April. 23rd of April. 30th of April. So on two the episodes, Nas- yeah. Two episodes on the National Geographic channel. Yes. Okay. 23rd of April. Yes. Okay, cool. So, and that, that's important. And it's called Save the Rhino, by Save the way. Save this rhino. Save this rhino. Okay. Because yeah. I saw it being advertised last night. Sorry. Oh, no down. problem. And so we met making this documentary and- KP has, Kevin has fantastic contacts. Of course, he's South African. He knows the folks. He understands what's going on in Kruger. He understands the politics and issues there and also realizes that it's more than just technology. It's, it's actually a much larger problem. It's a problem to save rhinos, but it's a human problem, as, as Kevin was just describing. So and it's a cool challenge, too. Oh, incredible challenge. So Great challenge. So as that technology guy, my role is not to, not to be here on this podcast or stand in front and say, here's how you go about doing conservation. No, I bring a tool set. And I didn't know how to best apply this tool set and worked with those rangers and worked with the conservationists and worked with those who, who uh, now run rhino orphanages, you know, and, and Kevin can describe that in a little bit. Um, and so we met doing this. And then from there, we realized, you know what? 
there's a lot we can do across South Africa. There's a lot we can do across Africa and then go into other countries as well, because the solution built now, once, once, once folks have heard about it, they're like, we want it. So the demand mm. to put this into multiple parks and multiple uh, reserves around the plant, but particularly in Africa, is unbelievable. So, so I live, sorry, Dave, a rhino has been killed every eight hours, so three a day. How many are there? How many, I mean, do you know? Have There's an about three and a half thousand left in the Kruger National Park right. in that area. And these that's 70% of the, the Earth's population of rhinos. Yeah, the, these guys have put in the most incredible technology in this private game reserve. And uh, I mean, I took the BBC in there for my podcast about a month ago, and they were up to about 560 days without a carcass. Wow. That's how good their technology is. So the, and the system that Dave's put together. Right, so that's more than a year and a half, a year and two thirds yeah. of n no carcasses. It's, it's, it's I mean, touch wood. It's groundbreaking. It is incredibly smart. The tiers at which the they've put in place is unique. And that's why everybody wants this system. It's crazy. I mean, 500 megs floating around just in just in the sky that these guys have put in the ptz cameras that zoom in from kilometers away and can identify what kind of mobile phone you're carrying in your hand like it's so crazy can like, we get a, into that a little bit he's a proper geek man yeah because <laughs> i want to get i want to get into that because you know what is really cool is uh you know you're up against kevin you're up against unbelievably smart ruthless um uh focused opposition mm. of you know, who are driven by desperation and greed and all those things that really can drive people hard yeah. to kill a rhino, okay? Yeah. And, 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 the, and, and the whole outcome is gruesome. What you've done, you've teamed up with one of the world's largest and most effective technology companies, which is Cisco. Yeah. And one of the individuals at Cisco, one of the chief architects at Cisco, mm. out of, straight out of the valley, what we're seeing here is a new army being produced. It's an army to take on the poachers. And but what we're using is technology. It's like a it's like a watching a scene out of Game of Thrones where they're bringing in the uh, you know those great big bloody dragons and shit like that. To, <laughs> so it's sort of like in a, in, a, in a less sort of a less sort of a descriptive way. But what we're doing here is we're bringing in um, the dragons, which is your business. You're you're the detecting part of the business, and this I, I think it's really important just right now just to explain to everybody listening the concept of Internet of Things is where you take um, uh, you ha no humans really are involved. You take sensors and they detect certain things, change in temperature, or it could be anything, um, but in your case, it's um, a, a change in the environment. And, and then that is then relayed back to a, an administrator in, a, in, a, in an operation center. Yep, in a, to the software. And there's an administrator sitting there and they see, bang, something's happened in this particular spot around the fence or whatever, wherever mm. it is. And, but this is extraordinarily powerful technology um, and this Internet of Things. But I remember reading an article by McKinsey in uh, 2006, McKinsey being the big uh, management consultants, global management consultants, saying that the Internet was really important, but the greatest growth as a result of the Internet for the future in terms of commercialization for that matter is going to be the Internet of Things, which is using the Internet um, to detect things that are happening from one machine to another machine and actually building something around this. And that's sort of what you're doing here, but you're applying it to protecting rhinos. It's 100% what we're doing. Yeah. And so the Internet of Things architecture, um, remember, so we're attaching a bunch of sensors. As you said, there, there can be uh, thermometers 
or there can be actuators, which, you know, are mo- yep. moving yep. a switch or something uh, like that. things, closing things. Uh, but when, when maybe your listeners hear about digitization, you know, when, when listen to commercials or the radio or whatever the case, that's what we're talking about, the digitization of businesses. And so what Cisco's been working on, I'm, I'm going to boil this back to hopefully what, what folks are we're living with day to day. The lighting is attached to the Internet. The HVAC is attached to the internet. The door uh, sensors, you know, for your badge to badge into your to your business is is all attached. The fridge might be attached to the internet. Absolutely everything. But here's here's what we've learned over the years. In the past, we used to believe that each one of those were discrete sensors. Yeah. And you would get temperature blah, refrigerator full, or whatever the case. What we've learned over uh, doing these installations in cities, in hospitals, in manufacturing plants, and now in conservation is the key is use the sensors to actually describe the entire environment versus as discrete data points. This sounds perhaps completely obvious to everybody, which is, look, the thermometer tells you one thing, but it doesn't tell you if the lights are on, it doesn't tell you what it's like to be sitting in this room. It all needs to be seen as the environment that you're in. So when we go out to to Kruger, the environment that we're in is not only the animals, the people, the boundaries, the Jeeps, the trucks, what's going on, et cetera. And so you need, again, this, multiple different types of sensors. Each one in and of itself can't detect what's going on, but it has to be all of the sensors working together that actually determine whether or not what's happening, whether a poacher has gotten through the fence, whether somebody's jumped out of a truck who got through the gate legally or illegally or whatever the case might be, and then where they are, which direction they're going, and what are they going to do. And so by building this layered approach, uh, again, we've, we've done this in cities, and now we've done this in the bush in South Africa. An understanding of, of how these architectures come together is, is become very, very key. So, so let me take this one step forward. The exact same architecture we're putting into schools to create safer schools. There's a massive problem globally as well of bad people bringing bad things into, into schools, knives, guns, and the rest of it. We understand that. But what can we do to stop it? And that's really kind of where I step in, which is, again, I don't know conservation necessarily. Um, I don't know a lot of these other industries I'm getting into, but I know I've got this technology that I can bring. And I'm also just where I'm in my career that if the technology doesn't exist, we'll just invent it. We'll just make it happen. If we need one of these, one of the others, we need another type of device, a new type of radio. Fuck it. Let's just go build it. And I I mean, look, you know, it's really, no, I get it. And what's really topical right now, for example, is the cost of the wall that Trump's going on about between, you know, US and Mexico, right? I mean, you could probably build a, a, a wire fence, but with all your detectors, probably be far more effective than a great big steel wall or a great big concrete wall. So, I mean, really, I mean, you, you guys. Yeah, this fence that they've got around this uh, private game reserve is... Far more effective than far any more really effective. expensive 20-foot high wall because you could probably detect with one of your fibres, you know, every single approach and, and change to the environment. It's a digital perimeter. Look, yeah. I know that sounds... No, 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 I get it. I get oh, it. Yeah. It's, it's much more powerful. Well, so when I take a digital perimeter... You know, we've uh, not only opened the PTZ and the thermal cameras and all the sensors I've already, already described, now we're putting in things like radar, where we can see 384 kilometers, 384 square kilometers. So now we'll know 150 kilometers if somebody's walking towards can that you, can fence. You, can you, can you, is this all uh, cloud-based? I mean, is it using satellites, et cetera, or is it? So satellites in some cases, but not in Kruger. Not in Kruger. So these are on masts. Right. And we had to invent how to build, and by mast, I mean pole. Yeah. And we had to invent... How is that going to work in Africa with the conditions that are there? How are we going to get a solar panel that somebody can't shoot out? Where are we going to put the batteries? How are we going to have the wiring? How are we going to keep all this to work? Well, that's a massive <laughs> commitment by you guys. <laughs> and and so 
but none of this stuff existed. I mean, yeah. we're used to light poles down in the city street. Yeah. That's not going to cut it in Africa. And so, because it's got to be standalone where there is no power getting to it. Yeah. And it's got to be able to work through clouds and rainstorms and the rainy season and the rest of it. That's why it's ruggedized. That's what you mean exactly by ruggedized. Exactly right. So this, this is a, I mean, you, you guys probably got a solution for Trump. You could probably build a wall and cost him half the fucking price. And uh, I mean, you should be talking to him. But, um, but this is like the commitment. I mean, apart from it being exciting, being really cool for Cisco to be the one to do it, the commitment back to the rhinos and or, or to the park here is incredible and uh and but also the commitment to actually catching the poachers as opposed to saving the rhinos mm. um it's because catch the poachers you save the rhinos yeah exactly or right. stop the poachers more importantly so, so you doc, save the rhinos doc watson uh, the dimension data um co-founder his philosophy is to just let the animals live the way the animals live don't microchip them don't cut their horns off don't just, just let them be. Yeah. Monitor the humans, and that's where this relationship is just so, so special. And, so that's why I'm glad you said it because this is about monitoring humans, not monitoring, monitoring humans. rhinos. So, I mean, I, I guess where this is all leading to is what you're being able to use, you guys, and I really appreciate you coming because it's been really cool. Um, is to use technology to you've reversed the whole process You're using technology to monitor humans, yeah. as opposed to using technology to save the rhino. Yeah, it, it, that's it, the outcome. Correct. Internal. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of other things to it, right? The rangers that are working there are folks from the from the homeland that KP described. So we had to bring in an education program. Yeah. And we had to bring in a, the solution to this problem is not just keeping out people out. It's a sustainable uh, benefit for them that they can actually advance themselves. And so it's much bigger than mm. can we just build a digital perimeter? Mm -hmm. It's can we do something to improve this the situation in the homeland mm. such that they will have new new things to do, better things to do with their lives. They're probably and, enjoying it too, by the way. And they're and probably excited. And escape where they are and yeah. instead and stop killing the rhino because they can do something they can do something else. And, I often say like, you know, like people often have great ideas, you know, and, and you guys had a great idea that's to save the rhino. Um but at the end of the day, it's all about, and you can all be very passionate about it. You know, you, you know, um, Kevin's really passionate about saving those things which are native to his homeland. And, and I'm not limiting it to that, but in this case, mm. saving. But the passion just stops. I mean, you've got to be able to execute. Yeah. And this execution process must has been like quite fascinating for you guys, I guess, because the execution process is about building awareness through Kevin and putting the TV show together. The uh, the uh, the two part series on, on for the for the show together. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. Yep. Production of that sort Huge. of stuff. That's a big deal. And getting someone like National Geographic to sponsor it and put that's it up it. there. They're, they're all huge deals. And you need, but you need to have. It needs to work. You got to be able to. Well, show. You got to have the content. You're correct, and it's got to be quality content. <laughs> yeah. It's got to be a good story, of which course. is a good story. But it's a graphic story. But what's the technology part of it's pretty fucking good too. Like that's a great story. Huge story, and getting yeah. someone like Cisco to join together, that's massive. Yeah. I want to say to you, um, you know, from just from a human being point of view, you know, because I'm not close to rhinos, but I, I get it now, but I'm not close there, but I, I am, a you know, an interventionist in terms of stopping people from harming animals and this type of, uh, this type of behavior. I don't like it. But I want to say thank you for all those people because sometimes these jobs can be thankless. I want to say thank you for all that, from all those people who don't realize the depth of what your thinking mm. has done and the efforts that you must have put into this in order to achieve what you've achieved so far. And I know it's not finished. I know it's just at the start, yeah. you know, to some extent. And therefore, we re I really want to thank you on behalf of everybody for the commitment you have made because there's a lot more to you got to do. 
I mean, this this is you can't just start this and stop. No, <laughs> and and, and there'd be a big team behind all this too. I mean, all those people yeah, that are involved, yeah. you're just representing a big team. Correct. The thinking around this mm. is quite fucking incredible. So, a couple things just on that, on where we go from here. So, conservation and the rhino is a great cause, but Cisco's in business. And, yep. and therefore, you, you start to touch on this very early in the podcast that, look, we need to be able to take this reference architecture into other valuable areas. And, 100%. And so what I'm doing at Cisco is creating an umbrella program over conservation, safer schools, ports, cities, healthcare, transportation called Sustainable Impact. Because the architecture that we've built is about 75% the same across all of these across all of these verticals, if you want to think of it the way, in all of these markets. Mm-hmm. And being able to take the learnings from a viable business proposition and take them to conservation and take the learnings from what we're doing in conservation and bring that forward is the only way we're going to move forward in this Internet of Things business and also be able to afford to do the sustainability goals and conservation goals that we have. Now, the second thing that we need to do, just quickly, the tech techno-conservationists, if I can make up that term in this podcast, (laughs) the techno-conservationists is an incredibly fractured industry, just like IoT. So I realized that one of the things I need to do, and we've done this in standards and we've done this in open source, is actually pull together that ecosystem of technologists and technology companies that can create and come together as different pieces of the puzzle to be able to have a larger solution set. And this can enable Cisco to build proprietary pieces and it can enable camera manufacturers and radar and acoustic fibers and sensors and et cetera, To hook into the system. But if the if it doesn't hang together, none of it's gonna work and none of it's any good. And mm. so the, the leadership that we wanna provide for the techno-conservationists is that we can pull this together and create a way in which the ecosystem can come together and then we can start solving some of these bigger problems that I described. What's interesting for those people who listening, the people who've been talking about Internet of Things for a long time, but very few people have actually ever done it. Like there's not a lot of Internet of Things applications. There are, but relative to the talk. And of all the places for it to sort of um, get a, a massive boost out of is when it comes to conservation as the starting point. And then therefore you can build these applications out for other types of things that you can use Internet of Things for or, your, or specifically what you're doing. So it's a great marriage of of you two. It's a great marriage of the two ideas and that in turn will actually catapult the Internet of Things into other areas where you might save kids. You, exactly you, might, right. you might protect mm. kids at schools. Yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, who knows where this can all end up? I really want to thank you. It's been a, for me, um, it's it's different to what I normally do. Um, it's been refreshing even though we did get a sparrow's <laughs> fart. I, I, I congratulate you. I want you to. I want to wish you the best for the TV show. I hope the numbers are Thank outstanding. Um, so, twenty third of April, National Geographic Channel. Um, it's called Saving Save This Rhino. Save This Rhino. So it's story, the best, it's it? basically a story about Baby Arthur. Baby Mother was brutally killed. Her baby Arthur was hacked on its back, on its feet, and it was flown into a rhino orphanage called Care for Wild. And it's just baby Arthur's story, and and uh, it's honestly the most fascinating bit of television. Okay, so I'm I'm going to watch it. I'm looking forward to it. And everybody, we should watch this sort of stuff. And after we watch mm-hmm. it, we've got to start thinking about what this means. Yeah, because it, that's the important part. Yeah, how, how does it impact our lives? End of the day, you know, we've got to protect our wildlife. Generally, we've got to protect everything on the planet, and uh, we've got to start. Safari's bucket things. list, right? 
Safari Safari's bu- bucket yep. list. Yep, totally. Would you is. would you want to go on safari and know that there is no rhino? Hundred percent. Would you want to go to the Great Barrier Reef if it actually died and it became extinct, like many of the predictions are headed? And so that yeah. that indicator ecosystem in Australia, the Great Barrier Reef, is a place where we'd like to try and take these technologies as well and mm. and start protecting these very fragile ecosystems that maybe. We'll try and we'll try and make it work, but maybe technology can actually help. Well, Prime Minister Scott Morrison, I know you always listen to this podcast, and uh, <laughs> I'm not sure about uh, the leader of the opposition, uh, Bill, but if you should be listening to this podcast. But guys, if you're listening to this podcast, you should be talking to Cisco about protecting the Great Barrier Reef because if you do that, that will win you an election, hands down. Yeah. Guys, thanks very much. Really thanks appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yes. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.